right. I want to thank Viviana for making that video. Anthony, are we good? Awesome. Oh, Eugene Garcia made it. I want to thank Eugene Garcia for making it. But, uh, uh, you know, for those of you that may not know, that was from our annual uh, Christmas party. Uh, we have a, a Mayan, Viviana's husband, uh, and Viviana started a charity called For the Need, and they do a, a holiday party every year for kids down in the uh, um, Women and Children's Hospital in downtown L.A. It's kind of an underprivileged area. And they don't, they don't get thought about a lot during the holidays. So for many years now, 14, 15 years, we've thrown a party. And you guys are a part of that. Some of you come and volunteer, as you can see. But others, you know, when, you, when we do our toy drive every year, that's where the toys go. And so we wanted you to just see the video and know that, if it, you know, whether you were there or not, uh, what you donated really went to making a, a great event and, and helping those kids. So thank you very much. I also want to give a shout-out to all the high school kids and st uh, students that are in the room. Please wave at me and say hello. <coughs> Hello, hello, and uh, you know, it's really awesome because I understand you guys had a, a staycation weekend this weekend, and my understanding was that all the girls went to the uh, Hicks home, and all the gentlemen went to the Cochran home, and then they spent the entire uh, weekend from Friday till now just doing whatever they wanted to do for the whole weekend, and uh, I assume it went well because you guys look great, but the Hicks and the Cochrans look completely wiped out. And so I'm assuming that that meant that the weekend was a success. I hope you guys had a good time. I know my son Hunter had a good time and was a part of it. And, uh, you know, on behalf of Simi Church and all of us here and all of us parents, let me uh, say personally to, to Jeremy and Stephanie, to Eugene and Shannon, thank you. Really. As Ivan said, uh, it's, we're coming up on a year. For Simi Church, next Sunday's our, our year birthday, one year. And shortly after we got started, uh, these two couples uh, offered themselves to work with the high school group because we have a bunch of high school kids and they need attention yeah. and, and, uh, and they need spiritual attention. And, and these two couples put themselves, they threw their hats in the ring and they volunteered for the, for the job. And uh, since that moment and since uh, uh, that, that time when we started it and the meetings we've had and the input you've gotten from all the parents and the, 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 the kids, it's been one of the bright, shining spots in Simi Church right. is that high school group. And I cannot thank you enough. <laughs> you have full-time jobs, you have families of your own, and, uh, you know, the time and energy you put into them, uh, we greatly appreciate. Uh, I know for myself, in a high, uh, you know, it was actually in junior high school, I was part of a church and they had a youth group. And those, those people, those men and women that served in that group, became really instrumental in my spiritual growth and formation. Uh, and I still remember many of them to this day. And that's what you guys are doing. And we owe you a, a real debt of gratitude. And I want to thank you personally and on behalf of all of us here. So thank you for doing that. All right. So uh, we're going to uh, start off our, our lesson today. And, and we're still in our series. And we are going to be in our series for a long time because we're just going to go for as long as it goes. Uh, but we're going to follow Jesus Throughout the uh, passages of the Gospel of Mark, and the idea is to just go where Jesus went in the Gospel of Mark. And so the, uh, it's been a lot of fun to be able to study Mar uh, the Gospel of Mark and go through those uh, locations and learn about them and then see what Jesus did when he was there. And it's really helped my spiritual growth. Hopefully it's been encouraging to you. But the idea is, is this is just my personal series. We're just going to go until we run out of Mark. That's really what we're going to do. And in between time, we have guest speakers. We have visiting speakers come in. Other people are going to do lessons. They're going to talk about whatever they want to talk about. But whenever I come back, I'm going to bring us back to the Gospel of Mark and just keep matriculating through the passage and through that book till we really get a good understanding of what Jesus did, where he was when he did it, what happened, and, and how it applies to our lives. So with that, I wanted to start off with, as I've been doing all, all series long, a, a, a little funny story. Uh, there was a, a minister uh, and his wife, and they got their first call, their first job into the ministry. It was a small church, and they were very excited, and, and uh, they went to work. But because it was a small church, they obviously didn't pay very much, so their budget was extremely tight. I think of Anthony and Karina when I, when I tell this joke. Uh, and, uh, you know, very, very tight, and really just serving in whatever way they could serve. I don't want to trip over anything up here, so I'm moving everything around. But um, um, they, uh, 
they, they start their, their call and, uh, you know, and every night they have to talk through the budget because it's so tight and it's, uh, you know, it's very, very important. And one day they're sitting down at the table and the, and the husband's going through the receipts for the day and he sees a receipt that his wife charged for $250 for a new dress. And so he says to her, honey, what is this about? We don't, we don't have this kind of money. What, what were you doing? And, and she said, you know, you know sweetheart, I, I couldn't help myself. I was passing the store, and uh, there it was on display in, in the front window. And it was so beautiful. And, and, and I, just, I just found myself inside the store, and the next thing I knew, I, I was trying it on. And it was as if Satan was there whispering in my ear, you got to buy that dress. You look so good in that dress. You got to buy that dress. And her husband looks at her and he says, honey, you know, when, when Satan tempts me, and he, and he does, I just, uh, you know, I say to him, get behind me, Satan. And she says, you know, babe, I, I did that. And he said, you look fabulous from back there as well. <laughs> Turn with me to Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. We're going to pray and then we're going to read. Father, thanks for this time to be together. Thanks for this time to worship you and just to study your word. Help us to be inspired, excited, and motivated by what we see in your, in your, in your word. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Verse 1, we're going to go from verses 1 through 12. It says, A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Now, chapter 2 in Mark uh, begins with Jesus returning to Capernaum. And what, what happens in the rest of chapter 2 is a series, a series of five different interactions or encounters that Jesus had with religious authorities. And I want you to know that, you know, we're going to look at just the first one of those encounters today, verses 1 through 12. But the next five, we'll, we'll figure out how to go through them. But I want you to know that they're not in chronological order. This is one of those times in, in the gospel where the stories are not necessarily in any order, but they are... Uh, arranged according to a theme. And the theme, beginning in chapter 2 and pretty much going throughout the whole chapter and even a little bit into chapter 3, is in encounters with religious authorities. They're just sort of, you know, uh, uh, he sort of uh, machine guns right through them, several of these, these stories. Now, Mark starts off with this term a few days later. Now, you may remember a couple weeks back when we did our study uh, uh, on, on at the end of Mark chapter 1, we saw that Jesus had left Capernaum. He had, he had uh, spent an evening healing out people all over and casting out demons all over the city of Capernaum. And then in the morning they left, him and his, his early disciples, and they went out through the whole region of Galilee. And if you look on the map on the screen there, you'll see that's kind of the general area. They went all over the Galilee region, and they began teaching and healing in the, in the various towns and villages. It was actually during this time that Jesus taught the Sermon on the Mount, the, the greatest sermon ever preached. He, he went from town to village and, and did a lot of miracles, performed miracles, and then also uh, gave some incredible teaching. And I don't know how long they were gone for. I don't know how long this, this took, but it was some time. And then they made their return to Capernaum. Remember, Capernaum had become Jesus' adopted city. It was where he did most of his ministry. When you read the Bible, most of it took place up there in Galilee, uh, around the Sea of Galilee, in the city of Capernaum. And it says that, uh, you know, and, and shortly before he returned, he had, he had encountered the, the man with leprosy. We talked about that last time and how he healed that man. And then they returned to Capernaum, and it says that, that they went, they entered Capernaum, and the people had heard that he had come home. Now, where is home, if you remember from our study two weeks ago? Does anybody want to take a guess? Andrew's house. Andrew's name was changed to Peter by Jesus, so I get him confused all the time. But I'm sorry, Simon's name, no, now I'm confusing him. But Simon's name was changed to Peter by Jesus. And so Simon, Peter, they're the same person. Uh, uh, that's where Jesus stayed. Simon's brother's name was Andrew. They had a house there in Capernaum, and it became Jesus' home. In fact, in the Gospels, it's referred to that. He came home. He spent so much time there, he basically moved in and lived there with the two brothers and apparently Peter's wi uh, Simon, Peter's wife, and his mother-in-law. I don't know if Andrew was married or not. Now, in the house, news got out that Jesus and the guys had returned, 
And because they had left sort of abruptly after this amazing uh, uh, message that he taught in the, the synagogue at Capernaum that, that blew everybody's doors off because he taught with such authority. And then he healed a, a man who was possessed. And, and that got word out and got everybody scared of Jesus. Then they got all the sick people came and he healed all them. Then he left. And so when he came back, they're all wanting him to be back. So they all come rushing over to Simon and, Andrew, Simon and Andrew's home again because they find out he's there. They, they had heard that he is gone. He was doing all kinds of incredible things all around in the, in the countryside, and now he was back home, and naturally an entire crowd shows up again at Peter's house, Simon Peter's house. And they enter the house, and, and, and there's so many people that the house gets completely packed, so full that it spills out the door and all around the house. There's a, there's a real crowd going on here. And the Bible says that Jesus preached the word to them. As incredible as the miracles of Jesus were, they were not as important as the message that Jesus preached. And I want to instill that upon you and me today, this morning, because the message of Jesus is really the important part of Jesus's ministry. Yes, the healing was good. Yes, the miracles were awesome. Yes, he mended lives. Yes, he put broken people back together. And we praise God for that. And, and, and we, should, we should fall down on our knees and be grateful for that. But that wasn't the point of his coming. And that wasn't the main thrust of his walking this earth. What was important to him, the thing that mattered the most, was the message that he carried to people. Remember, repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God is near. In other words, God's presence has come. His presence is here in my, in my uh, in, talking about Jesus, in my, um, in my being here. So is the kingdom of God. And there's a new way to, to come and know the, you know, to, to know the God, know God, and that's through me, right? This was his message, and this was the important thing that he carried around, even greater than the miracles, even greater than the healings. You know, today, we are an experiential people, at least in the Western world. We, we, we crave authenticity. I'm going to use all these fancy words. We crave authenticity. We, we want the real. And, and I think that, that comes from the fact that we live in a, in a world, in the West anyways, where so many things are produced for us and made for us and packaged for us that we go and we buy it and you know, we put on a sweater and it's not the same experience when it was 100 years ago when people made the sweater. And, and they gave it and they passed it down from family to member to family member. And this, this experience was so real. Or you went out and you, you captured your own food. You hunted for your own meat. You, you gathered your own crops or you grew your own fields. And, and we're so removed from that that I think it's caused this desire in us to, to, to experience the real again. We crave it. And so many people, when they look at Jesus Christ or they look at Christianity, they just want it to be experiential. They want it to be a feeling, a, 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 an experience, a moment, a doing, something like that. And there's nothing wrong with that. Actually, that's really great. But the message is still more important. They say that the generation behind me is the most activist generation ever. They're all in causes. They're all, they're all, you know, wanting to do something, whatever that causes. My son, uh, Kelly, is 19. My son, Hunter, is 17. And, and I hear their stories about their friends. And, and it, it's so funny because they all have a cause. They're all trying to go do something. But there's no message. And I think sometimes in our society, even in the church here, even in our own lives, we get these two things confused and we actually get them reversed. We actually think that the experience is most important. But the truth is the message is the experience. It is what is most important. And we can never confuse those two things. We can't get them mixed up. We have to be willing as people of the book, as followers of Jesus Christ, we have to know the message. And we have to be able to communicate the message. It's not good enough. It's not okay enough. I'm not saying it's bad, but it's not enough to be there at a, at a party like that and, help, and give toys out or to go to some uh, you know, uh, organization and help build a house for someone. Nothing wrong with that, but it's not enough. Right. The message 
has got to come with that. And so you and I have to know the message. We cannot miss the importance of that. What is the message? Repent and believe the good news. In a nutshell, that's the message. That's what you and I actually bring to this world. That's what we as Christians do for the world around us. We bring the message. Yes, we can do that by experiencing things with people. We can create experiences. We can go participate in experiences, and there's nothing wrong with that. But we never, uh, we, we, we can't ever forget that we also got to bring the message to people. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He went around, he taught, he did miracles, he did amazing things, but he always got people together. And at the end of the day, there was always the message. Amen. Verse 3 to 5. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. But since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, I don't know what this guy's exact problem was. It just says he was paralyzed. I don't know if he was born that way. I don't know if it was a result of an injury, if it was a degenerative disease. Whatever the case may be, it's really not important how the man became paralyzed. What's important and what really jumps out at me is the behavior or the conduct of the other men who brought him to Jesus. That was a unique thing for those guys to have done. It doesn't say they were his friends. It doesn't say they were his family. It, you know, it doesn't say that they were good Samaritans. Maybe they were all of that. Maybe they were just one or, or one or the other. I don't know. I don't know who they were. We know there were at least four because four carried him, but it says some men. There could have been more. The point is, is that these, this group of people did something unusual. They carried a person who couldn't carry himself to meet with Jesus. They brought him have an audience with Jesus. You know, there are a lot of ways, as I said before, we can help people. And they're great. And they're, they're, there's an experience there. And there's an authenticity there to hand a gift, to help build a house, to help somebody across the street, whatever the case may be. But there's no better way than to help someone than to bring them to Jesus. That's what we ought to be about. That's actually what our life ought to be about. Bringing people to Jesus. That's what we do. Uh, on, our, on our little sermon outline here, our service outline, we have our little hut up. We talk about, you know, who's going to do what, when. At the bottom, Ivan wrote a statement, and I, I'm going to mess it up. Ivan, can you just say it out loud really quick? What did it say? Point the way to God and get out of the way. What a great way to describe what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to bring people to Jesus, not get in the way. And then when we get there, we got to get out of the way. And that's what these men did. They brought him to Jesus. You know, next Sunday is Simi Church's one-year birthday. Can you believe it? I, I was going to say, can you dig it? Can you dig it? I, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm sitting here going, it's already a year? It's blowing my mind. It's already been a year. We want next Sunday to be the biggest service we've had this year. And that's a big challenge because the chili cook-off had a, almost 150 people there for this small group of 40 of us, not counting our kids. But we want to we beat that. We want to go beyond that. We don't, we're not going to do this every Sunday. You know, we're going to have times in the year where we really want to get a crowd around us, right? This is one of those times. It's a big deal. Yeah. It's the biggest deal we've got going on this year so far. The Simi Church birthday service next Sunday, 10 a.m. It's going to be right here. We'll probably be in the room next door. We're going to ask for a little bit more space. We're going to have a little more, more things. We've got live music. Anthony's going to perform with our, our little band, some live music. Ethel is going to get a cake. We're going to cut a cake and sing happy birthday. We're going to have cupcakes to eat. The, the hotel is going to give us coffee and punch. We're going to have all kinds of fun. And we're going to celebrate this incredible blessing that God has given us, this baby church here in Simi Valley. One year. 
are you going to bring people? No, really, are you going to bring someone? Jesus is going to be here. He says, whenever two of you or more are gathered in my name, I'm there also. He's here right now, by the way, but he's coming back next Sunday. I have it on good word. He's going to be here. And it is our opportunity as brothers and sisters, as just people living in the 21st century in Simi Valley, to bring the paralyzed, the hurting, the needy, the, 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 the weak, whatever, to bring them to meet him. Amen. Are you going to do that? Are you really going to go out of your way this week? Are you really going to make the phone call, the follow-up call? I'm having all kinds of luck with my computer here. Can you, I don't know, Jeremy, can you fix that? <laughs> so, uh, are you really going to bring people? It, my computer went off. I don't, I may, oh, it, it died. I don't have a charger. My charger's in the bag. I'm sorry. So I need help. As you can tell, I can't bring people here all by myself. I forget to plug my computer in sometimes. I know you're going to need help. That's why I'm reminding you right now. We have such an incredible opportunity this, this next Sunday. Will you really go out of your way? Again, I don't know what these some men did. I don't know. I know they had to carry him. I know they had to figure out who he was, whether they were related or just good Samaritans or friends. I don't know the, the story. But they had to go out of their way to get him there. And you know what? The same is true for us. We're going to have to go out of our way. We're going to have to work at it. Last summer, we did 31 and 31. That was a challenge I put out to the church. And I, I went after it, and it was good for me to do. And I'm happy I did it. And some of you did as well, and that was great. But I still have the numbers. I'm still calling them. I'm still texting them. Every time I meet somebody at church, I get their email if they're new. I put them on my email list, and I send information out. But, you know, even that's not enough. I'm going to have to start asking, hey, do you need a ride? Do you want to get lunch afterwards? I mean, there's all kinds of things you got to do. you got to go out of your way. If you really, truly want to bring somebody to Jesus. In this situation, it took some men to just get one guy there. And it feels that way sometimes, doesn't it? I know if you've tried like me to bring people, it seems so hard. Why are people so hard to get to church on a Sunday morning? Why is that so complicated? I don't know, but it just is. So we got to do that. Now, I don't have my, my notes up there or the screen on, but I will tell you this. The next thing that it says is that they couldn't get into the house because of the crowd. That's how packed it was. So they had to improvise. They had to overcome and they had to adapt. And how did they do that? Well, they climbed up onto the roof with the guy. That's what they did. And those houses in those days were tended to be kind of rectangular and they had courtyards and what have you. And then they had a a roof that was basically made out of dirt, had maybe even some vegetation on it to to keep the water out. And so there was usually a staircase on the outside of the house because it wasn't uncommon in the heat and in that weather. Thank you guys very much. It wasn't uncommon for there to be uh, uh, people sleeping on the roof in the summer. It was hot. So there was a room up there. So these guys carried the guy up onto the house And they started digging a hole in the roof. Now, I've never dug a hole to bury someone in. But I know it's got to be a pretty big hole, right, for the guy to fit in. This is a full-grown person. So they dig a big hole. And then they lower the guy through the roof and put him in front of Jesus. And it's always funny to me, the comedy of the situation, right? There's so much comedy sometimes in the scriptures. And I can't imagine Jesus in this place is packed, it's hot, it's sweaty. It's, you know, Jesus is talking, there's candles burning, you know, there's smoke, it's dark. And then the dust starts coming down off the ceiling. And it's, you know, what's going on? You look up, a hole opens up and a guy comes down. How bizarre. You're like, What? I'm so grateful, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart. I am so grateful for every person in my life that made an opening for me. They went out of their way. There's many of in this room who still make openings just to help me stay here, help me to stay faithful. But I'm grateful for the people. My parents raised me well, gave me a basic faith in God. I went to a private school. 
was a, a Christian school. It wasn't fancy, but it was a Christian school. And, the, and they taught, there was chapel on Wednesday and Bible class every week. And, and, and the people that worked there, they, they, they poured their heart into it. They taught the Bible. They, they, they wanted us to be spiritual. They wanted us to be Christian. They planted great seeds. Some of those, I eventually started going to the church associated with the school. And then there was a youth group. I already mentioned the Cochran's and the Hicks and, and the people that I had in my life back then that poured time and energy into me, helped me get, build a, a foundation of faith. And then I got older. And when I, when I drifted and wandered off and eventually came back, there were brothers in my life that, that, that helped me in. Amen. They pulled me in. They made an opening for me. They dug the hole and they lowered me through it. I'm so grateful for every one of those people. And I bet if you think about it, you're grateful for them too. Think about it for a minute right now. Who went out of their way for you? What did they have to do just to make a hole for you? To make an opening for you? I got a call. This is a really weird story because it happened last week from my elementary school principal. Has anybody ever gotten a call like as an adult from your ever? Mr. Heinlein. He, uh, he was the principal of the little school that I went to. It was a, like I said, a Christian school started by a little church and small school. And uh, he was one of those guys. He loves God's word. He loves the message. He, you know, and, and it was on his heart to, to, to teach the kids that. Now, now the backstory is I was scared to death of Mr. Heinlein. He was a short dude, but he was like stocky and, and kind of yoked. And he, he uh, back in those days, uh, you guys, parents will appreciate this. Our high school kids are going to be like, what? You could still get swatted in school back in those days. It was still okay. Somehow we survived the horrible abuse of being paddled. A lot of people think we should bring it back. So, uh, you know, uh, and so what he did in this school, the school was built around, like there were classrooms around a courtyard and his office was right in the center on the bottom floor. And when someone got paddled, and it was usually my inspector Ellie, by the way, and you can tell people that I've heard him get paddled. (laughs) Mr. Heinlein led the door open and then you could hear the swatting happening for all the other classes to hear, right? And I was scared to death of this guy. And so he called me. I was like, (gasps) Like, that was my first reaction, Mr. Heinlein. But, you know, he's been off and on a part of our church. He's uh, he's a very spiritual, faithful guy, and and I love him to death. But he had heard that I was being a ministry. He called me up to to tell me how proud he was. One of these guys, he made a hole for me. Somebody made an opening for you. And, And... and you have the opportunity to make the opening for someone else. Are you willing to do it? It's not easy. You got to drag somebody, sometimes kicking and screaming. This guy was paralyzed. He couldn't kick and scream, but they had to drag him. (laughs) Then you got to lug him up the stairs. How many refrigerators have you lugged upstairs? It's kind of like that. Then you have to dig a hole in somebody else's roof just to get this guy to Jesus. Let's be those kind of people this week. Let's do this. Let's for this week be the kind of people that are going to bring people to Jesus, make the openings, adapt and overcome, deal with the obstacles, but let's make it happen and let's make Sunday, the see-me birthday, the best, greatest service we've had to date. Amen? Please. Another thing I want to point out, though, and this is really important, is the audacity of these guys. Again, going back to the comedy of the story, they dug a hole in someone else's roof. That's a bit audacious, don't you think? There's a bit of boldness there. It's a bit forward. I get in trouble when I go to my friend Ethel and Anthony's house because I go right to their fridge and open it up and they look at me like, what are you doing? You know, I, you're my friends. I'm going to eat out of your fridge. That's what I do. <laughs> I'm kidding. They feed me every time. These guys dug a hole. I mean, Anthony would be pretty mad if I dug a hole through his roof. He would be. I'd be pretty mad if somebody dug a hole in my roof. That's what these guys did. 
I think if we're going to do this, if we're really, if, hear me on this, if you're really going to do this, if you're going to join me and we're really going to make this service incredible and we're really going to drag people kicking and screaming to Jesus next Sunday because he is going to be here, it's going to require boldness. Yeah. And you know, I want to thank John Teal as a great uh, influence in my life uh, regarding prayer. John Teal has been bugging me about prayer forever. And I, yes, John, I know we got to pray, we got to pray. Finally, his mom actually pushed me over the, 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 the mountaintop. John and his mom sat me down and gave me the riot act and said, we got to start praying. And we have been, have we not? Yes. Every Sunday we worship, we spend time in prayer. Every midweek we've turned it into a prayer service. Yes. Yes. I'm praying more. I hope you're praying more. But you know, one thing that they prayed a lot about in the Bible was boldness. They prayed for boldness a lot in the scriptures. Because what we do as Christians, trying to drag somebody to Jesus Christ is a pretty audacious and invasive thing to do. It really is. And we got to be bold enough to do it. I got to be bold enough to do it. I have a whole list of people that I text and I send invites to, you know. I pay my daughter, uh, 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 what is it, like 50 cents if she does it for me. I have her do it. Sends out an invitation, a little picture, and the invitation, you know, I write it all, and I give it to her, and she goes through my phone list and does it. And even then, I feel like I'm invading their life in some way. It's a text. I, you know, how much more when we actually have to have the face-to-face talk and, the, and to come on with me, and then afterwards, hey, let's do a Bible study. I mean, what we do is pretty invasive. And, and if we're not willing to be bold, we'll never get there. So this week, as you are out and about and as you're making plans and you're trying to figure out who you're going to bring next Sunday, don't forget to pray for boldness. In fact, remind me on Wednesday for midweek, and I want everyone to come, and we're going to pray that night for boldness and for God to use us in an incredible, incredible way. So the story goes on, and it says here that Jesus saw their faith. Now, something jumped out at me in my study of this that was, that was really new to me. It says uh, where he said that, uh, digging in the roof above Jesus, and then it says, Jesus, when he saw their faith. Here's the question I have for you. Who is the there? Who's he talking to? Or who's he talking about? It's okay to answer. You think the men, right? I, I agree. Certainly they had faith. It, it requires faith to do something like that. There's no doubt about it. They had no idea what the reaction would be, and they acted in faith. But you know who else had faith? The paralyzed man. He was in the there. Sometimes I think I'm paralyzed. I, I, and, and sometimes it's true. I am limited. There are times where I'm at a loss. I, I don't know what to do. I'm totally limited. The extent of me... And my, my capabilities has just come to an end. I, I'm trying not to be emotional because I'm thinking about a, a situation of, of a dear friend of ours in the, in the San Fernando Valley. And I, I don't want to go there. But, but she's a dear, dear friend in our church in the valley. Many of you know her. And, and she's going through a tragic time in her life. And this morning, her, her, uh, the man that raised her, her stepfather, died. And all I could think was, this too? She's already dealing with a, a huge tragedy in her life, and then this happens. And I was in the shower literally going, it's too much. The, I, I'm at the end. I've been involved in the first situation, really uh, aggressively loving and trying to help, and I'm grateful to be there. And then this, and I'm like, I, I can't go any farther. I'm limited. But my faith isn't. Your faith is never limited right. by your circumstance. It's never limited. Right. It's always something you can do. This guy was completely limited. Right. There was nothing he could do for himself, right. but he could have faith. Right. And he had enough faith to move Jesus to heal him. Well, well no. Actually, he forgave him. I don't think the guy was thinking that when he got lowered. I think he was thinking he'd maybe get healed. He heard the rumors. 
Jesus can heal people. He got healed. I mean, he got, he got saved. He got his sins forgiven. That's actually better. That's actually awesome. He got the best gift anyone could get. Yeah, it would have been nice to walk, but how much better it would have been it is to be forgiven, to know that your name is written in the book of life, that when you die, you're going to heaven. There's no more worries. This life has no more hold on you. It can do nothing more to hurt you, to harm you, to hold you back, because everything afterwards is now covered. And that's the gift that Jesus gave this man. You know, it's interesting, and I'm going to get theological for a second because I believe in teaching. And I believe it's important for us to know theology in, you know, pieces of it anyways, right? We got to understand it. What's really interesting is Jesus forgave this man in spite or or, uh, although the man never confessed Jesus as Lord. The man, there's no record of the man repenting of his sin. Even to some degree, the man had faith, but even that was not really dependent or did not really play a major role in Jesus forgiving the man. Jesus just forgave him. It was independent of his, any confession of faith, of any repentance, and even of any real faith. It was completely independent. And Jesus has the authority to forgive anyone of anything at any time, regardless of whether they deserve it or not. And that's good news, because he did it for me, and he did it for you. And boy, am I grateful for that because it wasn't because of anything. I I can't even plug my stupid computer in when I'm supposed to preach. And Jesus forgave me in spite of me, without needing me in the equation, just like he forgave this guy. He didn't need him, but he forgave him. Now, it doesn't mean, and I want you to hear this, that confession and faith and repentance aren't essential. There's plenty of teaching in Scripture where those three things, and maybe some more, are essential. They're not negotiable. We are obligated. We have to have those in order to experience the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. All I'm saying is that Jesus, if he wants to, can can work around the system. He's bigger than it. He, it's his prerogative. And, and, and if you want to look at this guy as an exception, well, doesn't the exception prove the rule? The fact that we have an exception here proves the necessity of confession, repentance, and belief. But we must never forget that Jesus Christ had the authority. And that authority was invested in him because of who he was. It was, it was within him and, his, uh, in, 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 and in him completely. And it was not dependent on anything that man did or anything you or I could do. Amen. Even though those things are necessary and he does ask us to do them. Amen. So in a sense, what Jesus is doing there is he's really emphasizing his power and his authority. This statement, your sins are forgiven, is a statement of I have the power and I have the authority to forgive you of your sins. Amen. Only God can do that. Only God can see into this man's heart whether he had faith or not. And only God can heal this guy's soul. And later on, you're going to find out that he does heal his body. But those are all prerogatives that are only in the, 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 the possession of God. And so Jesus is making it very clear here who he is. Now, we're going to get into something interesting, something that I bet you didn't know. I didn't know. Think about the audience for a minute. Because I got to thinking about this story, and I got to thinking, why did he forgive him? Why didn't he heal him, then forgive him? As the story goes on, he ends up healing him, but he decided to forgive him first, and then heal him later. Why? Well, let's look at who the audience is. Because the audience matters in this story. In verse 6, it says, Now some teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? 
Now, Luke tells us in chapter 5, verse 17, this same story, that not only were the teachers, some teachers of the law there, but in detail, there were teachers of the law and, of the law and Pharisees, and get this, from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. So there's our map of the area, and you see the, the province of Galilee at the top, and those are just a handful of the cities, the towns and the villages. But there were teachers in law of, of the law and Pharisees from all of the region of the Galilee and all the region down here of Judea. In other words, a large portion of this audience were religious authorities. They were the religious people, the, the priests, what we would think of like priests or deacons or, or popes or you know, bishops, whatever you want to call it in our, in our mind. But in those, in those days, the, the top dogs, the, the, the authorities of the faith were the teachers of the law. They were the people that were responsible for, for, for the scriptures and copying them and, and making sure that translations and interpretations were accurate. And when they taught, they would teach the proper interpretation. They knew the scriptures very well. The Pharisees were a very radical sect of Judaism. They were very pious, very spiritual. They were, they were like, you know, they walked on water, right? Wherever you went, they're like, ooh, the Pharisees, you know, they're the awesome ones, right? That's who's in this crowd. That's why he forgave this guy his sins first, because he was picking a fight. He was making a statement to them. And immediately they figured it out. Why is he talking like that? He's blaspheming. In other words, doesn't he know that we could just, you know, we can give the sign and he's done? I mean, that's who we are. We're the gatekeepers. We're the important religious people. We know the scriptures. We're the ones, you know. And, and, and he says it right in front of them all. Son, your sins are forgiven. Claiming in that sentence to be God and to have the authority to forgive sins that only God has. And so, of course, their response is, is appropriate. Why does he talk like that? There was an element here of, I give them credit, they knew that the scriptures say that only God can forgive sins, and so they were very bothered that he had said that. And so they, they start accusing him of blasphemy, and Jesus says, why are you thinking this way? And, and, and the Bible tells us he knew what was going on. He knew where their hearts were at. He knew what was going on in their minds. Don't think he doesn't know what goes on in yours. Because he does. He knew that the, the men who lowered the guy and the paralyzed man had some measure of faith. He could see that. And, and, and he says the million-dollar question, why are you thinking that way? Why are you so critical? Why are you so doubtful? Why are you so fearful? Whatever it is, why? Why are you the way you are? It's a good question for you and me. Why are we the way we are? Is it because we don't believe? Is it because we doubt or we're fearful or we're critical? Is it because we're religious? That we care more about the religion than we do the message and the people? You know, I, I, it just dawned on me when I was processing that, that the, the guys that had carried the paralyzed man, they couldn't get in the house because the religious people were in the way. They wouldn't make a hole for this guy. So they had to make one in the roof. Religious people get in the way, don't they? And sometimes I can be really religious. And, 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 it's, and I'm in the way when I stop thinking about how important the message is and when I stop thinking about how important people are. I get in the way. We had a theme in our, our leadership team for Simi Valley. We've talked about this openly in the church. Our theme for this year, you guys may not know it, but I'm going to say it. I've tried to say it several times, that we all decided on, we all agreed to this was prayer and evangelism. Let's not get in the way of those two things. Let's not let our religion, our fears, our criticisms get in the way. And let's just be prayerful and evangelistic. Let's get the word out and start bringing people to Jesus and get out of the way. I don't know where Ivan went, but what's the, what's the statement, Ivan? How did it go on the paper? Point people to God, then get out of the way. Let's do that. Let's point people to God, and let's get out of the way. Yeah. So Jesus knew what was going on. He knew where their hearts were, and they were immediately judged. 
They were immediately examined, and they're found to be failing. That's why he says, why are you thinking these things? Next verse, 9 through 12, we'll, we'll end with this. Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man? Your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. You know, both of these actions, the the healing of the man, I mean, the forgiving of the man's sins and then the healing are acts that only God can do. And the Pharisees were right, at least in part, for finding fault with Jesus for claiming to forgive this man's sins. But given the fact that he told the guy to get up and walk out should have changed their mind. It kind of should have, right? I mean, there should have been a, a, you know, somebody should have processed that and come to a different conclusion. But I love what he says. He says, I want you to know. Jesus is making an appeal, a personal appeal to these people the religious leaders and the people in the room, and to you and me, I want you to know that I have the authority to forgive you of your sins. That's a powerful statement. And to prove it, to verify it, he had the man get up, fully healed of his paralysis, and walk out. So he did the miracle that they could see to verify the miracle that they couldn't see. And at that point, the only proper response is to praise God and to turn yourself in. And that's what we want ultimately for people. That's why we're doing Simi Birthday. That's why we started a church out here because we ultimately want people in Simi Valley to praise God and turn themselves in. That's it. We're not better than anyone else. We don't propose to be, you know, and when we do, we're being stupid religious people and we're getting in the way. But for the most part, we try to get out of the way because we just want people to turn themselves in. But you know, it's not easy. We got to make a hole. We got we to help them. We got to get them here and we got to talk to them. And we got to beat on their heads a little bit and we got to dig a hole. We got to get them in it. Not a real hole, like, but like through the roof to get to Jesus. But what we want more than anything else is for people to know the saving message of Jesus Christ. It says this amazed, amazed everyone. And, and, and I like this it just as we think about this, we're wrapping up. You know, like all of Jesus's miracles, they were complete. They were immediate. They were accomplished by a word without any incantation or agonizing, without any long prayer or waving of the hands or jerking of the head. There was no staging. There were no props. There was no other fanfare. It was done completely with ease in the presence of friend and foe alike with a word. Get up. Like all the miracles of Jesus. Easy, easy peasy. No, no effort, no effort for him. He just does it. What an example. And that's what this whole story is about. What an example of his power and his authority. You know, the pastor's wife, she didn't have a lot of, whole lot of power to say no to Satan. I mean, he, when he said get behind her and he said, oh, you look fabulous, you know, she gave in. She bought the dress. I think as we close out, I have two thoughts that I want us to kind of leave you with, okay? One of them is a little weird. It's just the way I think. I love the humor in this story. I love the comedy of the story. Simon and Andrew are followers of John. They meet Jesus one day, you know, about a year before. He's a cool dude. John the Baptist says, hey, he's the Messiah. You got to follow him. They're like, oh, awesome. They go with him. They go up to Cana for a wedding. He turns water into wine and they're thinking, best roommate ever. (laughs) 
So they're like, come over to our house. So they go to Capernaum. He does some miracles there. They're like, this guy's awesome. Stays at their house, all this. They go back down to see John again. They worship for Passover at Jerusalem. He turns over the tables. Like, this dude's awesome, right? And, and I they can think of like Three's Company. I picture this like a sitcom. And, 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 uh, and there they are. They meet Nicodemus, one of the, one of the 70, the leaders of the Jewish faith. And, and, and then, and then John, John gets arrested, goes to prison. And so they kind of all go home. And then a little bit later, Jesus shows back up in Capernaum. He says, hey, Simon, Andrew, James, come, come and follow me. Yes, we were hoping he would ask us. How cool is that? They go over to the synagogue. They worship there. And then he preaches with authority, and they, they themselves, like the crowd, are a bit like, whoa, where'd this guy come from? And then he casts out a demon, and it's like, whoa, where'd this guy come from? And now he's staying at our house. They got to bring him home, and now the whole town is out there. They're ruining the lawn. They're knocking, knocking the plants over, right? Now Peter, Simon's thinking to himself, did we invite this guy over? Like, what's happening here? And then Jesus said, we got to go. He takes them out. They go all around. They heal people. He teaches. He does all this stuff. And then they come back home and the crowd shows up again. Now all the leaders are there, all the religious people. You know, Peter's like cleaning the room and putting the wine away. Doesn't want all the Pharisees to see what's going on in his house, right? And then somebody digs a hole in his roof. It's like, thanks, Jesus. Thanks a lot. He just turns your life upside down, doesn't he? You, you invite him in, and he's like the best and the worst house guest ever. <laughs> because everything gets messed up and turned upside down. But boy, is it a ride. That's what I hope you feel like your Christian life is. It's a ride. Cars breaking, people borrowing stuff. I, I had a roommate. I live with Gary Smith. Many of you know that. We were single. And Mike Hammer. You guys know who these people are, most of you. And Gary one day invited a friend to stay at our, our place. We had a two-bedroom apartment. And all of a sudden, there was a guy living there. I didn't know who he was. And for like two weeks, I just thought he was Gary's friend from North Carolina. And Mike thought the same thing. And one day, Mike and I were talking. And we're like, who is this guy? And I go, well, I thought he was Gary's friend. Oh, I thought he was your friend. We're like, oh, hey, Gary, come here. Who is this guy? Gary goes, I don't know. <laughs> I go, how did he get here? He lived there for two weeks. I go, how did he get here? He goes, he didn't have any place to stay. I invited him over. <laughs> what? <laughs> he was homeless. He found him in a phone booth and he invited him over and let him move in with us. My life has never been the same. It's just been turned upside down. You have stories like that. We all do. Jesus comes into our life and he just messes with everything. We got holes on our roof now. We got cars that are beat up. We're tired. We got two people who go hang out for 48 hours with teenagers everywhere. You know, they're, they're passing out over here half asleep. I mean, life just gets upset and it's actually kind of fun and humorous and all that at the same time. And what a great ride it is. And I hope that's what you think of your Christian life. Because if we don't think that, nobody's going to want to show up here next Sunday. If it's not a ride... I wouldn't come either. You wouldn't be here. But then there's the other thing that I want to leave you with. The power and the authority to change people's lives. Physically and spiritually. Let's go ahead and stand. I'll close this out with a prayer. We'll have a final song and you'll be dismissed. Father... Thank you so much for your power, your authority. Yeah.